Hello all, welcome to today's episode of PhD Addicted to Research. Today's session is going to be talking about uh, attending an academic conference and what you will get out of it, what's good to know and what's not good to know. So today we're joined by Zoe and Carol. Would you like to introduce yourself Zoe? Yeah, hi, thanks Dan. Um, so my name's Zoe, I'm um, in my second year of an SSA funded PhD at Liverpool John Moores University. I'm doing a mixed method study on smoking cessation interventions in drug and alcohol treatment services. Fantastic. And Carol? Yeah, hi everyone. So my name is Carol and I am final year PhD student at the National Addiction Centre at King's College London. So my research is looking at the application of contingency management and how we can deliver these interventions remotely using mobile telephones. That's great. And I'm going to be your host today. My name's Dan. Uh, I'm from the University of East London and I look at the mechanisms behind alcohol addiction, focusing on genetic, pharmacological and molecular methods using the fruit fly, more commonly known as Drosophila melanogaster, amongst our scientific friends. So let's talk about academic conferences. First of all, what are they, Zoe? What are they? I guess this, this is something I've tried to explain to, to people when they're like, oh, you're going to a conference. That's fun. What is it? I'm like, well, you just kind of know if you've been to some, right? basically a room full of a large room full of um academics generally um talking about their research that's that's the really short answer um okay. it depends i mean they they vary a lot from really small ones maybe university or faculty focused to like the yeah. massive international ones with thousands of people okay um, so there's lots of people there basically from loads of different um places from around the world by far and wide and you're all there to talk about the same thing presumably um yeah kind of i mean Conferences aren't just for academics, Suppose it's important to say that yeah. um, some of them are focused on highly specialised topics within a single discipline, so say addiction, uh, like the SSA have got their annual conference every year that brings together experts within the addiction field. But then some conferences are much more interdisciplinary um, and they bring together a broad variety of perspectives from academics, from industry, uh, from practi- practitioners. And I suppose it's just... An opportunity for everybody with a with a similar research area to get together. Okay, that's that's a nice way of looking at it. So you're all there for the same common interest, basically. So we use the example addiction. So you can be from a variety of different addiction related areas, but you're all there to discuss the same thing, and that is addiction. Okay, that's really that's really good to know. And it's it's quite nice that it's not just academics. Um, because quite often, whenever we're whenever we're working, um, we're in the middle of our PhD. We're just surrounded by academics, um, and I want to say that sometimes we lose touch of the real world, um, and I mean that in quite a nice way, where we're in our little research bubble in academia. Mm. Uh, but it's nice then to hear from other people outside of that, so practitioners and people who are on the ground uh, delivering or implementing what we're researching. Yeah, for sure. yeah, I think it's been interesting for me to see a shift to more people, more conferences, including like the, the lived experience perspective. So you can actually speak to people who are on the receiving end of these interventions or whatever. And it's kind of it does help to bring it all home a bit and to kind of remind you why we do this. Okay. So, yeah, that's been. Pretty do you good. think that that's specific, though, for depending on the conference type that you're going to? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's got to be sort of appropriate. Just, I, I hate this idea that we just sort of trot out these people with lived experience just so we can go, look, look. Yeah, um, exactly. So actually having, you know, it's got to be a, a kind of mutually beneficial setup, if you like. Definitely. So yeah, it depends very much on the, on the focus of the conference. 
And I guess as well, depending on the area of research that you are go either going into or you're currently researching, it must be difficult to decide which one is going to be good for you. Because I'm, sh- I'm I know that when I've been looking at conferences, there's a variety out there that are both far away and really close to where you are, and also they vary in expense. How do you decide what's a good conference for you to go to? For me, I. So there's a couple of conferences that um, are predominantly, well, I, I guess that people within my department predominantly go to. So the likes of the SSA, because it's very focused on addiction, as I said, some of them are single disciplines or more interdisciplinary. So the ones I tend to focus on addiction based conferences, but also um, for people who come from uh, a particular um say discipline within psychology so my background's in behavior analysis so I would then tend to look at behavior analysis conferences as well um, and sometimes that's uh, that, that's kind of going a little bit outside of what your colleagues are maybe interested yeah. in so I think sometimes I know within our department um, it, it's very people people talk among themselves about what conferences they're going to but for me sometimes I need to um go outside of that because not everybody within my department would go to a behaviour analysis conference. Sure, because I, I guess the study that you're working on will change as well, won't it? So you might not have exactly the same interest. It might be slightly different. Yeah. See, I well, I, I went through a phase, certainly very early PhD, when I just went to everything I could. Um, now I've tried to refine it a bit. So basically, if it's close and it's cheap or free, I'll probably go to it. <laughs> the kind of the, the more effort, the more expense... The, it is then it's the more kind of suitable it's got to be. See what I mean? So if I'm traveling abroad, it's going to be something that totally fits all those boxes of what I'm interested in. If it's down the road and it's like a couple of quid, then I'll go. And to be fair, some of the ones that you don't think are going to be that relevant turn out to be really interesting anyway. So, okay. Yeah. That's a really interesting point you made there, Zoe. So you think that it's sometimes more beneficial to you as a researcher to go to everything because you might be surprised at what you see slash meet compared to targeting just one which might be a bit more expensive or further away and uh, it turns out to be less interesting to a point yeah i mean obviously don't waste your time going to every conference ever because there's a <laughs> lot out there um and and i have been to some that you get there and go this isn't what i need at all oh really is that the same with you so i haven't I wouldn't say that about a full conference, um, but I definitely have been to conferences where there has been no talks or presentations on my research area. And at the time, I have felt like, oh, well, this is an absolute waste of time. Um, yeah. And probably some of it was a waste of time. Um, mm-hmm. But I think nonetheless, it's good to hear about different areas within addiction. Um, like Zoe was saying, it's still good to stay connected to different areas of research that you're not necessarily involved in or that would be particular focus of your work. Um, so I do think that is important, but I think, um, yeah, I don't think I've been to a conference that I would say was was a complete waste of time, but definitely those bigger ones um, that, is, that is such a broad range of topics and research yeah, areas, definitely. You're, def- you're definitely going to be faced with um, sessions that do not appeal to you whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, we haven't spoken yet about how an academic conference has um, has been managed or organised, but I remember going to one in Berlin 
and it was it was supposed to be the highlight of the year and it was a European conference with um an institute from every country basically putting their research into one biannual um conference and it was the most stressful thing I've ever been to. I would not recommend it to anybody <laughs> in my department. It was bloody horrible. I've had the exact same experience as you, Dan. I have been to a range of different conferences, so some that are uh, very small with maybe 150 people there and some that are large with thousands of people there and they run maybe, oh my goodness, like eight parallel sessions at any exactly. one time. And that is just, it's the programme itself was so overwhelming that I avoided trying to um, organise my time efficiently Yeah, because it was I mean, just too stressful. Exactly, and it's really hard to manage your time. You get stressed out because you want to see so much. You want to try and have some aspects of networking. And also, you're in another country. You want to have a little bit of downtime in the evening or maybe lunch with uh, friends or colleagues. And it's very stressful. Have you ever been to anything like that, Zoe? (laughs) Like, too big and it's overwhelming. Yes. Uh, So, Lisbon Addictions. I've been twice now and it's, it's awesome. But I think the first time I just turned up, having never really been to anything bigger than the SSA conference. So I was just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And also, I've no idea what I'm doing. There are there are how many things on in all these different places. I realized and they start early and they finish late. So the first day I realized I hadn't seen daylight in about 13 hours. And I was like, actually, I need to go outside for a bit now. so it's so overwhelming and it's it's fascinating but you get to a point where you just can't take anything else in yeah for sure you've got to pace yourself a bit i think that yeah that's such a good point like attending conferences are both intellectually stimulating but they're also challenging and they are strenuous and they're tiring and i think that it's so important i think whenever you attend a conference you you aim to make sure that you're making a 100 percent perfect use of your time but it's important to also build in um downtime within that and time to take a breather between sessions and if there is a session within the program at a conference that you're not particularly interested in that doesn't appeal to you or you don't think will be beneficial for you to attend just don't go to it i think the first conference i ever went to i tried to make sure that i was attending i was in a session every time and then the last conference i went to i thought I'm not going to do that this time. Yeah, whenever there's a session, I can to that. whenever there's a session that I'm not interested in, I'm going to take myself outside and go for a walk for an hour instead, because that's much more beneficial. And it wasn't even necessarily that I was um, choosing to opt out of it because it wasn't relevant or not. I was not interested. It was more, you know, you have to be kind to yourself, right? You wouldn't work a standard day in the office, for example, 10 hours straight without a break, eating your lunch in front of the computer or in the middle of a meeting. So why would you do it at an academic conference? It's important to remember, though, it's still work, isn't it, right? You might enjoy it, but you're still there for work. And then after yeah. after all the talks and presentations that you have been in from 8am to 6pm, then they've got a social yeah. event. And that typically runs then in the evening time from 7 to yeah. whatever time that wants to go on to. So it's quite, it's quite full-on, isn't it, really, when we think about it? Let's take it back to the beginning then. Um, so we've spoken a little bit about what they are, what their purpose, which ones to attend, cost, and actually how to maybe get a little bit of the best out of them. So let's take it back a step and let's break down what an academic conference actually is. So we've already said that you can present, there's a range of people that are there. Now, what, what's, what are these posters all about? Yeah, so I guess at a conference there's... there's um different platforms upon which that you can present your research 
you can do an oral presentation where it's very much a talk and um, what you would think of whenever you think of a of a of a, um, a talk or a speech that type of thing so you're standing sure. at, at a platform and you've got an audience a professional lecture yeah something very similar to that whereas a poster now I never knew there was such thing as a poster presentation before I started my PhD. Um, so if anybody's listening, they don't know what it is. Um, it's a great way of presenting your research whenever you don't feel like you have um, enough findings or results to present as an oral presentation or if you just don't have the confidence or don't want to deal with the stress of presenting yeah. an oral presentation. So effectively, yeah. it is just putting your findings, your research project, whether that's a protocol, whether you've got preliminary findings or it's an idea, putting it on a poster in mm-hmm. paper form or electronic form that I've seen been used more recently. And it's just a condensed overview of your research. And you put it up on a board within the conference and people come around and they engage with you. It's very interactive. You give people a run through of your research. They ask questions. It's a great way of... Um, getting feedback on your work and telling people about your research so it's an informal way of disseminating your research really without having a stand-up talk in front of somebody so it's more a chance of it's a more accessible way of sharing your science really because if people are there with a common interest they go around have a little look um, and that's cool so what, what do you have to do in order to get the poster so carol's already touched upon what you might present so how do you how do you present it then? Is there a specific format, or do you put just put some graphs and an introduction on there? Or how does it work? Sorry. Um, so I I did a my very first conference was the SSA conference when I just finished my masters and my supervisor encouraged me to present my work there. So that was a really good kind of taster for me because I didn't really know what I was doing. So yeah. I signed up to my university did poster sessions. And I was like, it's a poster. How hard can it be? Apparently quite. So, yeah, I found looking at other people's work was really useful and going to some of those sessions where they kind of give you an idea of what should be included. It's going to vary massively depending on what kind of work you're doing. Obviously, if it's really quantitative, it's going to be very different. Mine was entirely qualitative. So it was, you know, some quotes and some pretty pictures rather than graphs and stuff. But, yeah, yeah, there'll there'll be like a, a format, an expected style, and then you get a little bit of freedom to play around with it and make it look more interesting. And let's just remember, you can't turn up with just the poster. There's work involved beforehand, isn't there, Carol? Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of work uh, beforehand. If anybody has ever written, if, if nobody knows what a poster is, but you've ever uh, written an abstract for a paper or a report at undergrad or master's level, whatever it might be, and you know how difficult it is to give a concise overview of your research that may be four or five thousand words in a manuscript or ten, twenty thousand words in a thesis um, and condense that to 200, 300 words, whatever that might be, you'll know how difficult that process is and that yeah. is what you have to do on a poster. So in my experience, although standing up and doing an oral presentation is much more stressful at the time, the lead up to doing an oral presentation for me um, takes less work than yeah. a poster presentation because you often have to you yeah. often have to submit your abstract don't you for acceptance quite far in advance before the actual conference itself yeah. um yeah so in some cases you haven't well you haven't done it yet or you haven't finalized the project yet so you're having to kind yeah. of speculate a little bit that i will have done this by then 
uh, yeah. which can be a little bit challenging. Which is fine in itself, though, isn't it? Because we as scientists need to understand that it's okay to have negative data. So if your hypothesis doesn't work, it's still important to present that. That shouldn't put anybody off yeah. putting in an abstract. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's still a result, right? But what what's also yeah. really important, Dan, just on that note, um, sometimes people get put off presenting their research if it's not complete. Um, but I think it's actually more productive if you are more helpful and beneficial if you present research that is not yet finalised um, its preliminary findings or it's still at the protocol stage because the feedback you can get at a conference, whether that's in a poster or an oral presentation, is is fantastic because people, your experts within the field, um, can come along, see your work, hear about your work, and then they, they can suggest changes, things that you've never yeah. thought about, and then you can incorporate that into your work before it's finished. So a lot of people get put off, especially in the early stages of your PhD. I know in the first year of mine, I didn't have any sub- any substantial results to to report. Um, so I was always I was always put off about submitting an abstract to a conference. And my supervisor said to me, "Look, it's perfectly fine to submit a protocol, um, to submit an idea of what you might do based on findings from, say, a literature review or a or a scope of the the evidence base." And I did that, and I think that, that that really set me up for then going forward with that particular research. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I had similar, because the, the my master's was kind of directly led to my PhD, it was really useful for me to get that feedback and kind of discuss how I could take that forward and how I could adapt it and all the rest of it. So it's really useful kind of whatever stage you're at. Yeah, so, so Carol, you said that it was really good to get some um, feedback and advice from academics in the field or experts in the field, let's say. It doesn't have to be an academic, does it? Um, and that's helpful for you as a presenter. So what do you think, Zoe? Do you think that, therefore, posters are only helpful if you are the presentee of the poster? What's the point in other people no. looking at them, then, if you're not an expert in the field, so to speak? I think it can be. it's really good just to get your work out there. You know, yeah. I've had some interesting conversations because, you know, you stand by your poster for a while and people can come and ask you questions and look at it. So you're not there all day? No, no. There'll normally be a, a poster session where they'll say right between maybe half an hour, maybe an hour, depending on the conference, where you will That's go good. and stand by it. There will be designated designated sessions and they'll you'll be able to go and wander around whenever you get a bit of free time, really. So any coffee break, you can go sure. and look at other people's. Um, and some people hand out like little A4 printouts of their posters which is well, which can be really that's handy a really good piece of advice so people can take it home with them they might not have time to really go through it there and then that's nice yeah or you put your contact details or a qr code or something on there so people can go oh this looks interesting i'll remember that for later yeah that's always really handy yeah but i think uh, getting getting feedback from anyone is useful definitely whatever level they're at a couple of years ago, I got an award for best poster at um, a conference, and that was the best feeling ever as a second-year PhD student. Um, little old Dan from the University of East London had to go up on stage and collect his award at a national conference, and it was, wow, it's fantastic. So all I can give people as advice, not on how to do the best poster, <laughs> blowing my own trumpet here, but how, is persevere and value the quality of your research. And you never know by presenting a poster. I think sometimes posters get a bit of a bad name that you are, by not presenting at an oral presentation, but by just doing a poster, it's almost like you're not good enough. But you can definitely have great conversations, like you said, Zoe, and also, you know, go on to see things that you wouldn't normally see um, and talk to as well. I think that's really great. 
Um, can I just ask, what, what did you win? Did you get a prize? So I did. There, there was actually a cash incentive. I didn't know anything Ooh. about it, but it was a very nice surprise a couple of weeks later nice. after the conference. So I went up on stage and got my certificate, had a little photo and a handshake. Proud mum moment. She liked the camera picture that I sent to her. <laughs> and then a couple of weeks later, I had some money sent to me as a cheque, which was great. That was a nice surprise. Um, but of course... Like as, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, as, as a PhD student, we all know how it is, right? Um, or you will know how it is. Yeah. And uh, any money's helpful. Today we've got an interview with uh, Sarah Fox and she's from Manchester Metropolitan as a research associate in the Substance Use and Associated Behaviours Research Group. Hello Sarah, thanks for joining us. Hello Dan, thank you for having me. It's um, great to see you again. Sarah is a previous SSA funded PhD student as well, so thanks for coming back and joining the gang. Five years ago I started doing my PhD with the SSA. And it was all worth it to be Dr Fox. It absolutely was, yeah. So we'd, uh, we'd like to talk to you a little bit about the organisation um, that you go through when organising the Society for the Study of Addiction conference. Um, so how long have you been a, a conference organiser for? Oh, um, so I started being a conference helper when I was doing the PhD. I think it was my second year of PhD I started getting involved in just helping um, doing the conference. So that's kind of more the day, you know, on the, the days of the conference, being there, um, running around. You know, you see those the, the conference helpers in their white T-shirts. I was one of them. That's right. And then I got asked to come on board as a conference co-organiser. I think this is my third conference as a co-organiser now. Um, so yeah, I've been doing it for, it's my fourth year now. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well experienced. Yeah. yeah. So obviously you know a lot about the organisation and effort that goes in to make a conference great. And I know the, the SSA conference is a great conference, because I've been an attendee for many years now. And a fantastic helper as well. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so tell me a little bit about the organisation and effort that goes in to make the conference awesome. Oh, well, what we'll do first is we'll go through the feedback from the conf- the previous conference. So um, at every conference, all delegates are asked to fill in a feedback form that gets um, reviewed and, and we look at the results of that. So we just kind of go through that in detail um, to see if there's anything we need to alter or change based on, on people's on people's feedback. And thankfully, the feedback is is always positive it's, it's it's really lovely to kind of see the comments that's really nice to hear as well that even though you you're already putting on a good conference you're continually looking at um you know attendees feedback to see whether there was anything they weren't so keen on or what they really liked so you can keep it in that's yeah. really good and positive and we do try and adapt the program to meet the needs so, you know the, the what comes through in the feedback in as much as we can so it might be oh there was the, the breaks were maybe too long at certain times and can we put something on um during those long breaks um or can we need more time for poster viewing because there's so many posters and there's so many excellent posters every year so it's just trying you know where possible to adapt and um, timings and, and things like that so yeah that's what we start with and then we set our own timeline for the year ahead so what are our key dates? What when does registration open? When does abstract submission open? When does abstract submission close? What's our turnaround time in reviewing those abstracts and then getting back to the presenters to let them know if they've been successful or not? Um when and then, you know, when do we need to be contacting when it wasn't virtual, when do we need to be contacting the hotel to start thinking about menus, food, setup, all of that kind wow. of thing as well. So So much to think about. Yeah. So much to think about. I love it. I thrive on it. <laughs> it's one of my favourite projects every year. Um 
so yeah that's what we do and and this society you know it's also about um, breaking down the the program so what's the program going to look like for the year ahead we always have the society lecture and um, booked the year before and then we start with the invited symposia so um obviously um delegates are invited to submit a symposia session and um, that they've created based on whatever themes um and they obviously get reviewed and, and chosen um and that kind of then starts forming the program and what the program is going to look like and then we think about plenary sessions and special sessions and you know sessions that they'd like to see so we look at that and see you know what have we not had before what's new what's different what's topical what can we bring into the program and who are the key people in the field that we know that we can invite to do do some bits and bobs yeah um and yeah that's that's really great to know how much you're thinking about um the attendees experience yeah. so far in advance as well to make these conferences great yeah. um so that's really nice to hear um one thing that we've been talking about within this um podcast episode is abstracts and mm. posters so as an as a conference organizer is there anything you look out for in particular when you're accepting or uh, rejecting an abstract for a poster or also for an oral presentation in terms of the oral abstracts and um, they actually go out to our panel and then they come back to the conference team and we then go through that feedback and we try and you know theme delegate sessions in terms of the posters um what we definitely look for is ethics. So make sure that all um, all abstracts, all submissions, and this is for both oral and, and poster abstracts, have an ethics submission. Um, we're very, very strong yeah. on that. Making sure that if you are doing um, uh, research that you've got your ethic, your ethical statements. Also conflict of interest, just to check, you know, that it's in line with the, the society's um, principles. Um, and then just, you know, the general thing, you know, we set the guidelines when we put the submissions or the abstract submissions out. Um, and just to finish off, um, Sarah, um, your personal top tips as a conference organiser, how do you recommend that attendees get the best experience whilst at these conferences? Ooh, um, well, definitely. I mean, so much work goes into the programme on our side that we really recommend that you go through the programme with a fine tooth comb and, you know, uh, highlight what it is that you want to see. Look at the abstracts. Um, the abstracts are all available online. The, the bios of the speakers are available on the SSA website. I think networking as well is really really important at conferences I think especially as a PhD student and like myself an early career researcher you know just having conversations with people at lunchtime sitting with somebody different uh you know at the lunch table and things like that and I know this year with with it being virtual it, it's a little bit more difficult but there's still that opportunity to actually network online so just making the most of that conference experience because you don't know who you could end up speaking to I mean I've met some fantastic people and some people that I would call my friends now and you know in terms of being a PhD student you know in terms of careers in the future um, it's always good to just get yourself out there and start chatting. So yeah, look at the programme, look at the abstracts and network. They would be my top three tips for making the most of the conference. And great tips they are at that. So Dr Sarah Fox, Research Associate at Manchester Metropolitan University, thanks for Thank joining us. Thank you very us. much. So let's go, let's go on to um, talk about, so we know what we can get out of these posters. We know um, that sometimes smaller conferences are often better because you're it's more intimate um what about when you are actually there so we know that you we've, we've said at a bigger conference there's lots of sessions that are happening at the same time 
How do you manage your time then if you are running around going in between sessions? What does a typical day look like at a conference? Depends where you are. I like to go get the conference. I'm old school. I like to print it out, get the schedule and, and highlight the ones that I have to see. Yeah. The ones that are like directly relevant. I've always wanted to hear this person speak and make sure those ones are highlighted and then I'll kind of fit the rest around it, if you like. Sure. So get the must-sees, then the kind of, you know, tier them. So then the ones that I'd really like to see if I have time and then try and factor in a bit of downtime because it's exhausting otherwise. Yeah, like we said, it's important to have a break, isn't it? And you might be somewhere new. Um, but yeah. do, you, do you think it's a bad thing? Do you think people look at you like, oh, she's going for lunch for an hour and a half rather than an hour? You know, do you think people look at it in a negative way? Or would you um, be positive and encourage people to take a bit of a break if they're with friends or colleagues? I'd encourage it. I think the first few I went to, I was like, no, I must, people will look at me if I leave. I must be here. I can sit in the front mm. row and look enthusiastic throughout the entire thing. And you know what? No. I agree with you. After a while, take a break. Particularly if you're presenting. Yeah. So I, I had to present at a three-day conference last year. And of course, they put me on the last morning. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> so by the end of it, like I was just getting more and more anxious about presenting. And also, it was in a city I'd never been to. I was in Oslo, yeah. lovely place. Um, and I was like, hold on, all I've done here is stress. I'm not taking much in because I'm so anxious about whatever. I'm just going to take a break. Really glad I did. Yeah. turned out to be the best thing I could have done. What, what are your opinions, Carol? Yeah, I think what Zoe said is really important. Um, before you attend a conference, it's really important to get that programme from the conference organisers go through it, highlight your, the must-see presentations that you don't want to miss. It's about just being yeah. organised, I guess, because you don't want to... I think a lot of people don't get everything out of a conference that they want to. Um, so quite often you can leave a conference and you can feel like, oh, I missed that presentation. I really, really wanted to see that or I wanted to really speak to that presenter. So beforehand, just make sure you're prepared. Uh, go through, highlight everything that you want to see. Um, yeah. Don't miss the keynote the keynote presentations or the... Um, the key sessions um, because they're going to be and what's that for our listeners what's a keynote or so a plenary key, session yeah so quite often they're invited speakers who will come along and they will um they will discuss hot topics within their research area so and they they kind of really set the tone for the rest of the conference um yeah. and flag any musty important kind of things so they're definitely one yeah, they're that... the big names if it was a festival they're the headliners they're the ones you want to make right, sure you okay. see so they're the selling point for the conference. They're like what everybody's going <laughs> Quite to see. Often. That was a yeah. much better way to explain it, Zoe. Yeah, <laughs> they are. They're the headliners, so you don't want to miss that. Um, also, what I found was really helpful, um, go through the abstracts for the poster presentations as well, yeah. because during the poster session, it can get super busy, and at any one time there can be four, five, six people standing around every single poster. Um, so make sure you know uh, what posters that you want to that you want to see um, and highlight that because they're all numbered so then you can go along and see the board that you want to see okay. another thing um, don't feel because I've done this at a conference before I have saw a presentation from somebody who I really wanted to engage with after they had finished their talk yeah. and they were quite a big name and afterwards whenever they had finished speaking I on one occasion I didn't get the opportunity to speak to them because they darted off and left afterwards and another one I was just too nervous um, so don't I think it's really helpful if, if that happens to you uh, contact them I know this sounds really really creepy 
but contact them via email and just say, look, sorry, I didn't get to speak to you at the conference. And actually that has led to me collaborating with with that yeah. that researcher. So it's really beneficial to do that. And yeah, I guess it's just, you might miss the opportunity at the conference because it's so busy. That's a really good piece of advice is just to communicate with people and network, network. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, a, a little while back, we done that session on your first six months of your PhD. And we were actually talking about the positivity of communicating with people and being open. And I think that that's very much the essence of doing a PhD again, isn't it? We're going to reiterate that point that communication is key and that people will often want to help not only other people because they want to help, but they want, you have something to offer that they might be interested in too. So it's a, it's a really yeah. great partnership. Um, just one, just a couple more points that I'd like to say before you go. So, um, is it good for your CV, do you think? Do you think it's good to yeah. say that you've been to a conference? <laughs> what if you didn't meet anybody, though, or didn't have any positive feedback? Do you still think it was good? I would, yeah, I, yeah, I would say so. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, going to a conference, getting your first one is always going to be quite intimidating. The first time I ever went to a conference, I didn't know what to expect. I was disappointed in myself that I didn't take the opportunity to present some research. I mean, I had literally started my my PhD a month prior to the conference um, and I put that pressure on myself and felt bad that I didn't present at it. But I think that it gave me um, the perfect experience to just enjoy the conference um, and absorb everything and learn how the conference works, learn how best to structure your time, learn how best to get the most out of it that you need. Um, so even if you don't participate or present or network or speak to people, it gives you a good, it's a good learning curve and I guess a good learning yeah. experience then to, to go forward to your next conference and feel more confident that you can that's, interact. That's and really participate. good advice. Yeah. So just a point to finish on then, what do you do when you get back to your institution? You've been away for this conference, everybody thinks you've been on holiday like your mum and <laughs> yeah. when you get back to your office or the lab, what do you do when you get back? Do you just get back into normal life or do you, is there anything you have to do? Yeah, sleep. You need to catch up on sleep, all the sleep, sleep. you've lost. I think it, a, a lot of it depends on on kind of why you've been so yeah, with some of sure. them um like i've been awarded funding and one of the kind of conditions of that is that you do a write-up when you get home which okay. is a great deal you know i get five days in lisbon and and, and i write you know a short piece about it brilliant yeah. Um, so yeah it's, it's really do anything that you've agreed to do yeah. um yeah oh, great we've had a great talk today i mean some things that we've um covered we want to it's important to make sure you pick out an academic conference that's obviously a, 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 of an area that you want to go and explore um, and it's sometimes good to um, go to a smaller conference than it is to go to a bigger one I think we all agreed on that that it's often a little bit stressful if the conference is too big um, and we've said that posters are helpful as well didn't we we all agreed on that um, I know yeah. some people don't like to present because they think nobody's going to look or it's a lot of effort to prepare so far in advance but we all said it's a good thing um it's great to put on your cv as well like we said you meet contacts as carol did you put it on your cv to show that you've been to explore and you're passionate about your academic work and um most important of all you get to do what we all love and enjoy and that's research and listen to people's work right i think we can all agree that they're actually quite good fun and it's not all work yeah. because there's time to play as well. If lunch break and meeting friends and colleagues, and I've met people at conferences that I'm still friends with now, and I haven't seen them 
for years. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Particularly if you're going back to one every couple of years, you get to know the same people, and then they can introduce you to other people. It's just, it feels like going home. It's really, it's really nice. The SSA one is really good for that. Definitely, yeah. I, I, I think it's, it's so important. Um, yeah, it's so important to network whenever you're at the conference and make sure that you're engaging with people who uh, have similar ideas that you have or, or shared interests and even people outside of that and just staying connected because, as Zoe said, the SSA conference feels like it has a community about it. And yeah. the more times you attend that, the more comfortable you feel. Um, and I think that even uh, that transfers across different conferences then as well. Yeah, and not definitely. all of not all of them are are like that. I've been to a conference before where there was no social event whatsoever. So the talks took place, and then everybody separated. Wow. Yeah, and and the difference in that type of conference and say the SSA conference uh, was was mind blowing. Fantastic. Well, I think that's a really good place to end. I think we've wrapped up everything nicely and we've had some great discussion today. So on behalf of myself, Zoe and Carol, I'd just like to thank everybody for listening to our uh, session today on academic conferences and thanks for listening to PhD Addicted to Research. See you next time. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye.